Welcome back, everyone. We have Congressman uh, Kat Kamick with us today. Thank you so much for being with us, Congresswoman. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, tell us what it means to be the youngest Republican woman in Congress and tell us a little bit about how you got there from uh, high school, college, working uh, in politics and then running for office. Well, it's an incredible honor to be the youngest Republican woman in Congress. Um, it, it is such a humbling experience. And every time I walk uh, through the halls of the Capitol, I, I get chills because you think of all of the greats that come before you and how you have a, a very, very big set of shoes to fill. And, you know, as, as you go to vote, you know, sometimes you walk through Statuary Hall and, you know, that's where, you know, John Quincy Adams, you know, uh, you know, what, you know, had his desk at one point in time. And you think of the challenges that they faced in, in their day and you look at what we're dealing with today and it, it gives you the motivation that, hey, you know, we've seen some tough times before, but we can definitely rise above. And I, I feel now more than ever that we need young people, we need millennials, we need Gen Zs at the table. And uh, when you look at the voting patterns, right, you have these, these blocks of folks, millennials, Gen Zs, that when put together are the largest voting block in America uh, coming up. And so it's important that we have representation. We have uh, a seat at the table, multiple seats at the table, but there needs to be a recognition of the fact that the policies that we're enacting today and the policies that have been for the last decade, two decades, they're not falling on the shoulders of baby boomers. They're falling on the shoulders of us. And so that's why it's important that we get involved now. And that relationship between our fellow Americans that are a little bit older than us is more important than ever because it used to be, you know, they would make decisions and it would take a long time for these things to enact. Well, things are moving so rapidly now that a $1.9 trillion stimulus package has immediate impacts for us here in America and particularly young people as we're getting started, you know, buying homes and starting families and going to grad school or, you know, starting out in the workforce, whatever it may be, that is something that is a direct, you know, all these decisions in Washington have direct impacts and it's decisions in Washington that actually led me to getting involved in the first place because I never had really politics as a goal in mind, you know, um, I grew up daughter of a single mom, you know, working class family. And my goal ultimately, I mean, I had a big dream. I wanted to own the Minnesota Vikings. That was my big dream. <laughs> um, but, you know, my realistic dream was to, you know, go to college. Uh, I, I'm the first in my family to go to college and then take over the family business, you know, get involved in the oil and gas industry. I'm originally from Denver and that's a big industry in Colorado. So after college, I was thinking, yeah, that's going to be great. Well, I didn't have that opportunity, let's say, um, you know, in college, I, I worked my entire way through. I, I was uh, a bank teller for a while. Um, I took a full load of classes. I was taking sometimes um, 16 credit hours. Um, at one point I did something ridiculous and I took 21 credit hours. I got a waiver and I was working a full-time job. And I don't think that um, that was a very good idea. And I don't recommend that. So please don't do that. Uh, but working at the same time that you're going to school is such an important thing. And I did that through high school too. And um, 
you know, so it, it gives you a bit of a work ethic and it, and it teaches you that you have to be responsible and that's so important. But I get to the end of my college career, it's April, it's 2011, I'm getting ready to graduate and my whole world falls apart. My mom got a phone call that uh, we were losing our family's home, which was a small cattle ranch south of Denver. And it was kind of like a bomb just went off in your little world. You know, everything around you is still moving, but, you know, your whole world has just, you know, been blown into pieces. Yeah. And so it was a pretty surreal experience of 23 days to evict. We have no money. I, I mean, I was paying for gas with like nickels and dimes and quarters. And I don't recommend that because at the time, you know, gas station attendants, um, they would they hated that. They absolutely hated that. And so it was, it was a challenging time for sure. Um, we ended up moving into an extended stay motel and, um, lived there for gosh, four, four and a half months. And it was, it was a really challenging time. You know, you're, you're homeless and the job market is crap. Um, you, you're getting interviews, but you're not actually able to land a job because, you know, everything's a recession. And, um, that's when I got a call from a family friend and he said, my uncle's running for Congress in Florida. I think you'd be a good fit. And that's how I ended up in Florida. So, you know, unmarried and no kids, it was an opportunity of a lifetime to really pick up what I had and drive across the country and, and just take a chance on a guy who really had a passion to do something incredible for his country. And, I was so angry with big government because it was a big government program that ended up taking our ranch. Yeah. It was a signature Obama housing initiative that was an 1800 page bill that no one had bothered to read. And they ended up um, passing this legislation. And what it did was it incentivized big banks to push people out of their homes because it was a tax credit for every home that they couldn't save. So you look at how government can impact people's lives so personally it's not just you know taxes it's not just regulations it's it's people's livelihoods it's the very homes that they live in and um big government is dangerous and out of touch and that's really what has inspired me into a life of service because i never want anyone else to feel that way i never want anyone to experience a loss of everything that they have worked for their entire life and um so that, that's what has led me to today. And um, you talk about young people being involved. I, I think back to that election with Congressman Yoho and you know I was the only paid staffer and they really couldn't afford to pay me that much. Um, and, and so let that be a lesson to you right there that you, know, you can get offered a job and it may be like 500 bucks a, a month. And in my case, I think I made like 800 bucks a month or something. And not, not really enough to live off of, right? So I was living right. in the guest house. <laughs> um, if you are doing something that you're passionate about and you're motivated and it moves you to get up every morning and, and it's driving you to, to really um, do something incredible and meaningful, the money, the money will come. Don't ever, don't ever take on a, a, a job because you're like, oh, I'm going to make a ton of money, but I'm going to be miserable, right? Um, that's, that's something that I've seen a lot of really incredible people um, turn away from their passion of wanting to serve or do something because they're scared that, um, they, that they're turning away money. Um, and that's just, that's really sad. So um, I, I've, made a career now of 
um, being an advocate for people in my community. And um, at, it's, it's incredible to be the youngest Republican woman because I think that there's definitely a gap there. Um, and I see a lot of young people in particular, we've been taught our whole life that you have to wait in line, you know, when we're kids and, you know, in kindergarten, what's the first thing your teacher tells you? Well, you know, we're going to line up and you're going to stand in a line and, you know, then you're going to go out to recess. So our whole lives we're taught, we're conditioned, stand in line, stand in line and wait your turn. And I think now more than ever, we need people who are willing to step out of line and right. say, I feel very strongly about this. And so I'm going to step out. Of line and take my shot. And um, so that would be my number one piece of advice for, for young people. And I, I tell folks all the time that if come January 3rd of 2023, when I swear in as a sophomore in Congress, if I'm still the youngest Republican woman in Congress, then I have not done my job. Right. I have failed my generation because I don't want that title for another two years. We need to have the next generation at the table. So um, that's something that I'm, I'm adamantly focused on as part of my role in bringing the next generation of conservatives along with me for this ride. Yeah, love that tenacity. I mean, you could have waited behind a state rep or state senator or someone else in your district <laughs> that, that could have uh, claimed that they had more experience than you. But in reality, um, you have so much experience, real life experience that was obviously yeah. very valuable. Um, what so just before we wrap up this part of the interview, what would you tell young people? What are some of the things that they need to be doing? And obviously, you showed honor to um, your predecessor. You worked loyally for him for so many years. And, and, and then, um, in a lot of ways, you were rewarded for it. And so what would you, what would you tell young people about working with um, other politicians? And what would you tell young people about maybe some of the things that you did specifically politically to get to where you are now? I, you know, I see, and that's a really great question because not a lot of people ask that, you know, about, you know, how do you move from step to step? Um, one of the most jarring experiences that I had as a deputy chief of staff um, working for a member of Congress was one of my first, gosh, it had to have been first month or two on the job. And I heard from a fellow staffer, they said, if you don't have your next two jobs um, lined up from where you are now, you're doing it wrong. And that, that really rubbed me the wrong way, because in my mind, I'm thinking we're here to serve. We have a purpose. And some people want to be, you know, a staffer for their entire life, or they want to use it as a stepping stone to get to a higher office or run for office one day themselves. And that's fine. But the motivation for that person in that moment in time was not, I care about the, the community that my boss is sent here to Washington to represent. It was, what can this job do for me? And it's the mentality of, I need to strategically move myself around so that I check boxes and I have a resume that looks good when I run for office. Voters see through that, that's fake. Yeah. It, and that is the BS that people are sick and tired of. They're, they're sick and tired of people who have just climbed ladders their whole life. Right. And said, well, I'm gonna do this because it'll look good when I go to run for office. If that's what you're about, then you don't need to be serving. Right. I want I want to see young people involved and go work for, you know, if they want experience with, you know, their local member of Congress, 
dig in to what makes that district tick. What are you doing to be a value add of providing service and representation to that district? Um, not how many people can I, you know, get linked up with so that, you know, I can have a stronger network. If you're doing the job with the, the best of intentions, that, that stuff will come. Yeah. You will get that naturally. But That's when you good. seek it out above the, the, the service of the district, right. it, it's disingenuous and, and it doesn't end well. <laughs> so my advice would be find something that you're very passionate about. If you're passionate about education, go look at your super your local superintendent, go to your state's, um, you know, your state secretary of education, work for a member of your state house or your member of Congress that is directly tied into education. If you have a real passion for military, um, and maybe you've served or you are serving, there's military fellowships that you can do. Yeah. Really dig into an issue area. And, and I tell this to people all the time. When I first was hired as a chief and was in charge of hiring an entire team, we shied away from people who had poli-sci degrees. We wanted people that had gone to school and had, oh, <laughs> that's the other interview coming through. <laughs> Oh, no worries. Well, we're on both sides here. They, so. must have tried. They, they must have tried multiple times because um, uh, I had it on Do Not Disturb. But uh, to finish that thought, um, the thing that we did was if you had a biology degree, we, we love that because you're working on issue. When you're working in politics, you're not working on politics. You're working on issues, right. you know, science, healthcare, education, defense, national security, um, you know, these are, these are all real issues. So go after a degree that you're passionate about and the poli-sci aspect, if you want to minor it, that's great. Um, but go after the issues that are significant to poli-sci, right? Good. If that makes sense. That's good. Well, final two questions, uh, the Biden border crisis, and what about the, the direction of the Republican party going forward? Obviously Trump is going to be a big factor and uh, how we navigate that and come together as a Republican party. You know, I think uh, it starts one with the administration, the Biden administration admitting that we do have a crisis. It is in fact a crisis. And I had an opportunity to question Secretary Mayorkas uh, last week as a member of the Homeland Security Committee and basically put him on the spot. If FEMA has been deployed to the border, that stands to reason there's an emergency. And he said, no, they have a real problem with words. They have no problem pushing people to announce their pronouns, but they have a real problem with the word emergency and crisis. And I think that's a disservice. Mm -hmm. This isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. This is an American issue. Yeah. And border security is a fundamental responsibility, a basic, a basic responsibility of the federal government. So if we can't get this right, all else is downhill. So it, it's something that Republicans are going to hold the Biden administration, their feet to the fire on this. Um, we're going to be working very, very closely with our homeland counterparts. I myself will be going to the border. So this is all things that's going to be playing out for the next several months, because it's not just a national security crisis. This is a humanitarian crisis. You know, one in three women um, are being sexually assaulted coming over the border. You have children that are being trafficked by the cartels. It is the most disgusting thing that I have seen um, in a long time. And the lack of concern or response by the administration should be alarming to everyone, regardless of your political affiliation. And you talked a little bit about um, 
the president, uh, President Trump and, you know, the future of the party, I think the president's going to have an immense role to play in the future of the party and really crafting that next generation. Uh, so that that's a challenge that we're going to face as far as, you know, getting a cohesive conservative message moving forward. And the thing I tell folks is, you know, listen, we're in the minority right now. It's very easy for us to be united because at the end of the day, we're powerless until we take the house back. We have all of the, the, the advantage in the world at this point in two years to take the house back. And that's really when we can start holding this administration accountable and holding their feet to the fire rather than just being the party of no. So we need to just come together as conservatives. I think President Trump did an incredible job. He had four years of incredible accomplishments. And the way we honor that moving forward is by championing the America first agenda going forward. Um, not shunning it. So yeah. that's, that's where we're, we're headed as a party. I think young people are going to be a huge part of that and, and really changing the face of the Republican party. And I'm excited to be a part of that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Congresswoman, how can those that want to give to your campaign give and how can they follow you on social media before we let you go? Uh, follow us. Uh, our handle is at Kat Kamak. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we have a incredible comms team that is putting out content regularly. One of the best ways you can help us is by sharing that content. Of course, on Instagram, I actually respond personally to messages. So if you have folks that reach out, it will be me responding, not one of my team members. Also, you can give um, every dollar helps. So catforcongress.com, you can donate right there. And um, it's, it's such a huge, important part of the process to help uh, conservatives as we go up against the big machine that is the Washington establishment. So I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. Uh, we hope to see you July 16th and 17th in the Houston area. Uh, yes. time permits for our Texas Youth Summit. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hope you have a blessed rest of your day. God bless you. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one.